legacy means a lot of things to a lot of people. To some, it's lasting integrity. It's building and maintaining a history of greatness. It's making an impact on people and community. For others, it's dependable security and assurance in an uncertain time. To us, it's all of that and more. It's a mindset, a brother and sisterhood of hardworking people dedicated to doing the right thing for you and those you care about. Of growing today for a better tomorrow. That's what legacy means at Southwestern Legacy Insurance Group. What does it mean to you? Let's talk legacy. Well, I'm excited to bring on our guest, Dr. Tim Elmore. Tim is the founder and CEO of Growing Leaders, an Atlanta-based nonprofit organization created to develop emerging leaders. Since founding Growing Leaders in 2003, Elmore has spoken to over 500,000 leaders in business, universities, athletics, including Home Depot, Coca-Cola, American Eagle, Chick-fil-A, as well as the San Francisco Giants, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and more. His work grew out of 20 years serving alongside Dr. John Maxwell, where he focused on leadership for the emerging generations. Elmar was listed in the top 100 leadership speakers in America by Inc. Magazine and has written more than 35 books. And I have been looking forward to having some time with you here, Tim, not only because a lot of the clients that you've worked with, I've worked with, that we've probably run into each other, but I I believe just our our tracks we've been on about developing leaders. I, I so much believe in that. And leaders build companies, leaders build families. So welcome to the show. It's great to be with you. We're going to have fun. Great. So when I was introducing you a moment ago there, uh, there were a huge, diverse group of clients from sports to food services to fashion. Tell me a little bit about how leadership ties into all the organizations you've worked with. Well, I think more and more organizations are realizing that leadership is more complex than it ever has been, at least in my lifetime. Uh, there are armchair quarterbacks everywhere we go thinking they're, you know, they can, they're second guessing and thinking they can do it. But Gary, quite frankly, I think we have been asked to be in those different spaces, commercial and sports and others, because we have focused on the emerging generation. And so for a long time, companies were going, how do we make sense of the millennials? And now it's, how do we make sense of generation Z, you know, this newest employee. So um, I don't claim to be the only voice out there, but we sure collate data and do some primary research. And we try to help leaders understand who their end user is or their colleague is that may be in their 20s and they're not quite sure, you know, how to connect. So let's say you're working in professional sports and you're working on the business side of things. And then the very next day, you're, you're working with a client like Coca-Cola or Home Depot. What's similar in the different industries and what, what have you noticed is kind of the biggest change of one industry to the next? That's a great question. I would say the similar thing is when you get down to the bottom line, we are all human beings with needs and emotions. And I think when we try to segment and to think we're, we're totally different, that's where we get into trouble. Um, when I, when we went through the quarantine in 2020 and COVID had come out and, and gone worldwide, um, I remember meeting with my team and realizing what they need from me is to say, yeah, this is scary, isn't it? And here are some steps we're going to take and we're going to make it through this. You know, that, that sort of thing. That was a human thing. It wasn't a Coca-Cola mm-hmm. thing. It wasn't a Home Depot thing. So um, I think that's a similarity. I, I think every leader needs to remember you're leading humans first before they're professionals. 
I think the difference thing, Gary, for me might be that our priorities or our focuses are just fundamentally different. The felt needs might be different, even though the real needs kind of boil down to many of the same things. Well, that that expression, I'm sure you've taught this or said this over time of people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And, and that goes over all industries, right? Right. Sometimes disciplining somebody, a, a leader, sometimes like discipline is love, if you've heard that yeah, before. that's right. Okay? Yep. Because you care about them. Right. Where at another time, someone needs just grace. Yeah. When I say this comment to you, what, what comes across your mind? We build people and people build companies. I've said that before. I so believe that. Uh, building big people leads to bigger organizations. It's the natural aftermath. In fact, it's not conjured up. It's not artificial. It's not manufactured. It's real because great people built it. Tell us a little bit about your company, Growing Leaders. How did it get started and where are you at now? Yeah. So you mentioned in the introduction, I've worked for 20 years for John Maxwell. Loved doing that. In fact, I started with John right out of college. So way back in the early 80s. And yet all the while John was teaching corporate leaders and church leaders and, and nonprofit leaders, I kept thinking, what would happen if we got this to young professionals and college students and, and high school students? What would have happened to me had I learned leadership? So um, Growing Leaders was really birthed out of my 20 years with John. He never pretended to be a next-gen guy. But um, in 2003, I started Growing Leaders with the primary niche focus of focusing on the emerging generation. And the reason, Gary, that I thought this was so vital is the baby boomers, which were beginning to retire over the last 15 years, were leaving at 10,000 people a day, retiring 10,000 people a day. In fact, as we're sitting here today, 10,000 more baby boomers are retiring. The millennials and Gen Zers, the younger generation, were coming in also a large generation, but in between them is Gen X, which is a smaller generation that started with a birth control pill and Roe v. Wade. So here's this gigantic generation retiring, this smaller generation right after. Even if everybody in Generation X were a brilliant leader, there would not be enough of them to fill the vacancies left by the boomers. Hmm. These young leaders among the millennials and Gen Z will have to be called up. And I just thought somebody's got to step up and help resource the employers, the teachers, the coaches to do this better. So the work we do with um, sports teams, Gary, it's often helping them understand that first year pro that's a rookie and, and they're feeling like they've got a college student because emotionally and mentally they may still be 20, 21 or 22 years old. Well, they are. And, and mo a lot of these professional sports organizations, and I've worked with several of them, their bread and butter is getting these kids right out of college, getting them at a very reasonable rate of, of pay because of the excitement of being in the sports industry. Yeah. And then it's a grind. I, I know certain people in sports, they are working their tail off. But you know what? Those that are good build up to VP roles and build up to really nice yeah. careers in that. And the experience they get with the sports they can take into any other industry. Yeah, because of the hard work and leadership. So you started working with the high schools, like even in leadership in high schools and colleges too. Yeah. What was that like? Well, it really began when I recognized we need a different way of delivering the leadership content. In other words, the principles that you and I both believe that make us good people and good workers and good leaders, are we? I, I believe they're timeless, but they needed to be delivered in a more relevant way. We developed, I, I developed, I started writing something called Habitudes. 
Habitudes are images that form leadership habits and attitudes. So it's a way of teaching a timeless principle with a picture, with an image. And because pictures are worth a thousand words, you know, you, the, the, you get conversation and engagement and so forth rather than a lecture. It's a picture. So I don't mean to oversimplify, but there are nine courses now. And when we go into a high school, they'll want us to do habitudes for social and emotional learning just to help kids with anxiety and, you know, mental health issues. We'll do leadership with, you know, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers or the San Francisco Giants or Kansas City Royals. So it's really a new way to teach the principles that you and I learned maybe decades ago, but a 19-year-old is going, I, I don't get that, I, or I, I, I'm not engaged with that. How do you deal with maybe the concept of Gen Zers and, and millennials? The media portrays them as somewhat lazy, somewhat yeah. waiting for things to happen. How do you mix leadership into that? Know that that's what's happening, but how do you have breakthroughs there? Yeah, I think the breakthroughs come when you begin to, with them, paint a picture of an outcome that they really want. In other words, I think it starts with vision. And when they say, I want to get here, and then Gary, you backtrack and say, well, what do you think you're going to need to get there? So once you paint a picture of the, of the desired future, then you work, and they're a little more incentivized because it's not just dad hammering this thing home. It's him saying, hey, I'll guide you, but you're going to have to you know, get up and, and move on this. Now, how we work with high schools or companies that have young employees we do a train-the-trainer model. So I don't plan on going in and teaching all this to some organization, but we'll train the trainers, the teachers, the coaches, and then they take it and, and run with it. And it's so rewarding when we hear stories about how that coach was better able to connect with a student-athlete at Alabama, at Ohio State or whatever. And uh, we'd rather make them the heroes and we're, we're Yoda passing on tools to the Luke Skywalker there. So Yeah, yeah, for sure. So leadership has been tested over the last two years with COVID. It has. You know, some companies have come out of it doing very, very well because they pivoted quickly. Yep. And what are you seeing for companies, the ones that have done well and made it through this? And what are some things that people want to avoid in the future that, gosh, if we would have only changed and, and led better, what would be some recommendations that you have there? Yeah. Wow. Great question. When I look back and think about what COVID did to us, I think COVID-19 was the great accelerator in, in terms of business, meaning whatever was already happening, even slowly, good or bad, just got sped up. So uh, didn't we say in companies and schools, oh, we need to do technology better? Well, suddenly we had to do technology better, you know? Didn't we say we need to do diversity, equity, and inclusion better? Well, suddenly we had to do it. 2020 forced that you know, for, for all of us. And the brick and mortar stores that were kind of going out of business slowly, suddenly they were, they were out of business. I talked to leaders that said, I feel like I made a year's worth of decisions in one month. So I think that it led to decision fatigue. So internally, I think anxiety picked up, but I think those of us that adapted and we did, we had to adapt to, we, we tr transitioned to some uh, new habits in our office that will probably never go back. Digital space is much more useful to us now. It was already useful, but uh, it will never go back. So I would just say, yeah, the name of the game now is adaptation. And now that's been thrust upon us. And I don't think it's ever going to change. I, I don't think so either. I think during this time period, people grew based on what their leader did. Yeah. And people failed yeah. based on what their leader did. I often teach a concept called your team will do half of what you do right and twice of what you do wrong. <laughs> That's so true. 
how important do you think it is for a leader to lead by example as opposed to tell people what to do? There, there's many people that teach that the leader should still be involved in doing some of the things, just yeah. even if it's 5% or 10% of their time. And then there's others say, no, you're a leader. You don't do that anymore. You have other people. What's yeah. your thought process on that? So I just released a new book called The Eight Paradoxes of Great Leadership. And one of the paradoxes is uncommon leaders practice both visibility and invisibility. Now, that sounds like a paradox. How can you be both? But I think you're both at the right time. So my, I had a case study on each one of these paradoxes. My case study on this one is Dr. Martin Luther King. If you look at his leadership between 1955 and 63, when he gave that big speech, I have a dream, he was very visible. He made extra effort to lead the, you know, the boycotts, the protests, the sit-ins. He even got himself thrown in prison on purpose to set an example. I'm not just talking the talk. I walk in the walk. Post-63, the final five years before he, he passed away, you see him purposely invisible only because he knew a young John Lewis might not step up if he's in the room. He might defer to Dr. King, and, and he should. So, you know, Dr. King wouldn't show up to a meeting and John would call him and say, Dr. King, why aren't you here? John, he'd say, you know what to say. You know what to do. So it is absolutely necessary for leaders to model the way. In fact, one of our habitudes is the skinny chef. Nobody wants to eat in a restaurant with a skinny chef, right? You want to know that chef's eating his own food. Nobody wants to hear a speaker they don't think is embodying what they're talking about. Right. You got to practice what you preach. So there's a tender balance, but wouldn't you agree? I got to be visible at sometimes and invisible at others so they can, I, they're empowered. So let's talk a little bit. I've always admired John Maxwell. Yeah. My God, that his talent of the way he commands a room, the way he yeah. has stories that back up what he's saying, his humor, but he's very direct and he allows you to see inside you what's working and what's not working. Tell me what it was like working with him and what were your biggest takeaways? Oh my gosh. I feel so fortunate that starting with him right out of college, I didn't have to unlearn a lot of bad habits that so many young professionals, you know, they start bad habits and they got they learn at 40 what to do. I felt like I had a great model all the way. John wasn't perfect, doesn't claim to be, but boy, did he show me how to do the hard call, you know, make the tough call, uh, do the confrontation. Probably the most important lesson was the art of confrontation, how you have a hard conversation about something that was wrong and you come out of it redemptively. But Gary, I got to tell you a fun story. What I love most about John is that he is much the same off the platform as he is on. He is generous. He is funny. He's real. Um, John and I were in India teaching leadership and it was just him and me. But um, John was up on the platform, this mega conference, loads of people and everybody was just, you know, loving every word. When he got done, standing ovation, people swarmed the stage. It was like he was a rock star. But this is India, you know, he, he, they swarmed the stage. They want to take pictures. They want to get autographs. John, when he gets done, he takes a couple of pictures, but he pushes his way past the crowd to get down to me to make sure I'm okay. Because my wife had written him a note saying, John, my husband's a type 1 diabetic, and I am. And she said, he's going to need to you know, make sure his blood sugars are right, blah, blah, blah. And so John could have been caught up in all of the fanfare, but instead he's checking on his young guy you know, <laughs> who's there in the audience. And I thought, oh my gosh, this is a leader I'll follow anywhere. You know? Yeah. 
that that's such a huge point. You said something about the art of confrontation. That's one of the biggest challenges that people have because people by nature want to be liked. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about maybe one or two tips for our listeners on how to confront and do it in a loving way that actually gets results? Absolutely. So I started my career as a people pleaser. Like you just said, Gary, I wanted to be liked. Who doesn't want to be liked? But you know, you can, you, you get so far along that road and you start realizing I cannot please everybody and somebody's not going to like me on any given day. And then when you become a leader, you know, one segment of the population will not like the decision you just made. So confrontation was something John Maxwell modeled for me. He actually had me sit in and watch him do it. So there's that modeling thing you brought up. And then secondly, I think that the two or three biggest tips I would give is to, to first convince myself that confrontation is kindness. Meaning if I avoid it, it's this elephant in the room that never gets addressed. That's not really kindness. That's just now I'm just going to be angry, but quiet, you know, or bitter or, and then it's, then I've bent like a volcano, you know, three years from now. And you go, where did that come from? Well, it's been inside the whole time. So confrontation really is kindness. Secondly, I think I need to start with, I have a problem. Not you have a problem, let me tell you, but I have a problem. And, and my problem is I'm not understanding why this is and whatever this is, the, you know, the issue. But it really is my problem. I'm struggling. And so I'll, I'll mention that. And then the person realizes they're helping me explaining why they did that wingnut, foul tip, bonehead thing they just did. Then I save myself from eating crow because they have a good explanation. The third thing I would say is I don't think it has to be cruel. It can be redemptive. I think confrontation can be, let's really meet in the middle here and let's find a way. So when we get done, we can hug each other, not hate each other. Yeah, and I think there's so many things in leadership, but being able to confront poor performance is at least a third of it. It's at least a third yeah, of leadership. It is. Okay, so I got a great quote for you. I forget who first said this, but this person said, 95% of the decisions you'll make in your organization as a leader can be done by a reasonably intelligent sophomore in high school, but they pay you for the other 5%. And you'd say 30%. No, it's really true. The other 30% is going to be those hard conversations that most people will not have. But a leader, that's what they get paid to do. So, you, you know, our show is called Let's Talk Legacy. Yeah. And what does legacy mean to you? Oh my gosh. Well, so practically for me in my life, um, I'm, I've entered my 60s, so I am thinking about what this legacy will look like. And I think it's both what you leave for people and what you leave in people. Mm -hmm. So what I leave for them is usually finances and maybe a timeshare and maybe, you know, this, that, and the other, insurance, whatever. But what I leave in them is going to be deposits in their minds and hearts. As a diabetic, I mentioned that earlier, I, I want to make sure my wife is well cared for because I might go before she does. And I want to, so I'm really preoccupied with that right now. As I entered my 60s, I, I got really, it's morbid, but I, I'm preoccupied with, is Pam going to be okay? Is Pam going to be okay? And I think she is. So that's, that's, um, that's that. I think though, with Growing Leaders, the organization I started, it's, it's been an undeserved privilege, but I have a wonderful team and we've created a great resource, this Habitudes thing that seems to be evergreen, at least so far. It's just, it's, it's more popular today than it was when I first wrote the first book in 2003. So I'm wanting to make sure my, for me, legacy is I'd love to see that go on and it doesn't die when I die. You know, like you hear so many people, well, they're gone. Zig Ziglar's gone. You know, 
so many things just die when the, when the leader does. And I'd love to see the good that we started continue on. But here, Gary, here is my philosophical answer. This is something I remember hearing years and years and years ago, but I bought into it. So it's now it's mine. This person broke down life into decades. And let's say you love a long, a good long life. The first 10 years are about memories. You're just a kid. You're making memories, playing around, goofing around, whatever. Your next 10 years, your teenage years is about mischief. Okay. Didn't we all get into a little mischief in our teenage years? All right. The third 20 years, which is your 20, or the third decade, which is your 20s, is about majors. You're figuring out what to focus on, what to major in and focus on in your career. Your next decade is about mastery. So you're hopefully by 40, you're mastering something and you're not still wondering what the heck you're supposed to be doing with your life. But by 50s and 60s, it's mentoring. We should be able to look back and say, you know what? I've got some tools in my toolbox now. I could pass these on. So growing leaders really is about that at once. It's, it's helping a coach connect better with their student athletes and really have those conversations where the life skills they learn on that soccer field are transposed to um, life after graduation. That's how I see it. Do you think companies think about the legacy they want to leave behind? I don't think they think enough about this oftentimes. Now, obviously there's differences, but I think people that think big picture and think high road and think long-term, by the way, that's another mantra of mine. Whenever I make decisions, I want to think big picture, think high road, think long-term. I'll always make a better decision if I think that way. I think companies that do that are probably thinking about their legacy because, you know, they're thinking, what about after we're done? But I think far too many of us are just driven by the bottom line this fiscal year. And it's all about just generating the revenue and getting by and setting another record, perhaps. And I feel like we have a longer shelf life if we're thinking about the souls of people. I know this is not a spiritual thing here, but the souls of people. And, and what are they going to feel about this company? Uh, what are they going to think about it long after they've resigned or retired? I, I think that's a great report card. So let me wrap up with, since this has been a leadership conversation here, Yeah, one tip for someone that's not in leadership yet mm. and wants to become a leader. Okay. And two, someone that's in leadership and going into the future. Yeah. What would be a tip that you would think would majorly make somebody have massive momentum? Oh my gosh. You ask huge questions. <laughs> it's not fair. Well, I do know what I would say to that first category, the, the person that's not a leader, but maybe aspires to be, or what, what would I do? Actually, I have a couple of thoughts on that. One, this is one I, when people ask me, what would I go back and do differently if I had it up? I would learn the art of self-leadership. I think before I ever earned the right to lead anybody else, I need to lead me well first. In fact, if I do that, I won't need a position, a title, or a badge. They'll want to follow me. They'll want to emulate the life I have. They so respect it. I won't need a title. So uh, when I look at my 20s, I could go on and on and I won't. But about the stories, you know, I just, these dumb things I did, we probably all did in our 20s. But I look back and think if I had been better at self-leadership, I, would, I, I wouldn't have made those mistakes. And then the other thing I'd say on that category is I really think the best leaders in, in tomorrow are really, really good followers now. So if you're on a team listening to this and you go, man, I'd love to be a leader. Be a very good follower, meaning a teammate, a team player. If you do that well, you could be trusted to be in charge of that team. 
Now, Gary, your second question was, what if your leader that would just blow you out of the water in the future if you did it? Gosh, I wish I had a great answer on this one. I tend to, in my mind right now, go back to those three thoughts I just shared. Think big picture, think long-term, think high road. Here's why. When I think big picture, I'm not just thinking about my own life and benefits, you know, how it affects me. I'm thinking much larger. That's usually going to scale the interest in others in me or my leadership and give me greater influence. Think high road means I'm going to believe the best about others. I have a question about Bob or Susie over there, but I'm going to take the high road with them. This is something John Maxwell taught me early on from the very beginning. He would always take the high road. He would give more perks and benefits and severance checks and so forth. He would just always do that so that the residue was positive. Um, I think leaders lose the right to be selfish. And so I, I just think this is how we got to be. We got to think high road and think, think long-term. I learned a long time ago, the further out I can see into the future, the better the decision I make today. So if I'm considering just this weekend, I'm going to party, go to a party. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to have fun. If I'm thinking way past this weekend, I'm going to be thinking about, you know, storing up my nuts for the winter, said the squirrel, or, you know, planning better. So I don't know if that's a great answer, Gary. It's a great answer. I took uh, half a page of notes <laughs> today uh, just speaking with you. So this was awesome. So I'm sure people are going to want to hear more. How would people get in touch with you? Yeah, yeah. Two places for speaking events. It would be timelmore.com, timelmore.com. No, no dots in the middle. Uh, and then growingleaders.com is where they could find the habitudes and all the next generation resources, growingleaders.com. And we'd love to serve anybody that would, would like to. Awesome. Well, thank you for spending time with us here on Let's Talk Legacy. And thank you. Sounds great. Gary, it's fun to be with you. God bless. If you've enjoyed today's podcast and want to learn more, visit us at southwesternlegacy.com. Shoot us an email via our easy contact form to find out how you can become an agent or how we can meet your needs for final expense coverage. You can find this and other episodes at letstalklegacypod.com on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon, and anywhere else you listen to podcasts. Let's Talk Legacy is a presentation of the Southwestern Legacy Insurance Group, a member of Southwestern Family of Companies.